Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk about college football. You can bet on that. The MLB, and of course, our signature savings, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 234. Courtesy of Kyle, the Mets are now paying former players over $150 million. That would rank 17th among all of the 2023 payrolls in the MLB. That's $153.2 million for players that are currently on their roster and $151.8 million for players that are not on their roster. This is after they sent $54 million bucks worth of the remaining $93 million contract from uh, Verlander to the Astros. That's a that's an insane chunk of money. Ah. They got a lot of money tied up on players who don't play for them. And, you know, part of it, obviously, they went all in. They threw a lot of money at it to make things work this year uh, with their two front-end starters and Scherzer and Verlander, and nothing was working out for them, so they had to sell. But... Part of selling is you have to sweeten the pie a little bit for teams like the Astros because the Astros weren't going to say, yeah, we'll take on this garbage contract that you gave Justin Verlander when we let him go. Uh, how about you send 54 million bucks our way and uh, we'll call it even. So that's what they did. It's a crazy number. Yeah, there was a lot of crazy things that happened at the trade deadline and we'll get into more of those. Um, later, including the aforementioned Verlander trade. Oh, personally, I thought the biggest thing we were going to have to talk about on this week's episode, if you would have asked me last week, um, the biggest thing we were going to talk about on this week's episode would certainly be the end of the MLB trade deadline. That turned out to absolutely not be the case. We have two other really, really huge stories that are coming before the Twins, uh, before the, tra- the trade deadline, where the Twins did nothing. Preview. And the first one of those is a sort of follow-on to something we probably mentioned, we definitely did mention a few months ago, and that was a a gambling investigation inside the Iowa State football program. Um, And that really uh, took a turn this last week when um, it was discovered, or I guess unsealed, via the Story County's attorney's office, that uh, Iowa State starting quarterback Hunter Deckers was charged. He was charged, I think, officially with tampering with records, um, but as part because he was underage when he was placing these bets. Um, but the biggest bombshell was he bet on games that he was active for, including the, what was it, 2021 Iowa State-Oklahoma game? I think so, yeah. I mean, you, you have the numbers, Kyle, for how much the account associated with him was betting. This is, this is not good. It is not a good look at all. So just real quick, reviewing the documents. So uh, among the allegations that are alleged, obviously was the, the unfair wagering and conflict of interest, which Mike just touched on, i.e. betting on Iowa State sporting events, apparently 26 different times. There was a breach of university and NCAA policies using identity of another. Basically, he was betting under a false identity in order to do this underage gambling and then as well, the tampering portion of that. So not a great look on that. 
the trying to find the numbers that I had. Here they are. Uh, it is reported that he placed 366 wagers uh, with a totaling about 2,800 bucks um, overall in those wagers. Uh, an unfortunate fun fact, as a part of that, he wagered more times than he completed passes in his collegiate career, which at this point we can probably assume is all but over. All of these allegations, basically the punishment for that is a permanent eligibility ban for Deckers with the NCAA. So it is hard to see his like football career progress any further from here, which is very unfortunate, but he literally knew the risks. I mean, there is a video out there of him talking about betting on a game. And then at the end of the video saying that they can't post this video anywhere because it is illegal, not a great look. And now we know why there were a lot of rumors and speculations, but now we know why Hunter Deckers wasn't available uh, at big 12 media days, uh, why there hasn't been much conversation about him going forward uh, in this off season. So yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, and the, the other piece of evidence that they allegedly have, again, technically this is all alleged, he's innocent until proven guilty in a court of law, um, is that they, right, because sports gambling isn't legal everywhere, right, you've got to have your location on on your device um, when you're doing this, right? So his main defense is that the account isn't his, it's a family member's. But the thing that they have, allegedly, is that it has geolocated um, to one his residence in Ames, and two places that are only uh, accessible by Iowa State athletes, which I presume is like the football facility, right, and things like that. Um, so it seems like your this isn't my account uh, defense isn't a great defense there. I don't see him playing at all this year. I Like you said, I don't know if his college career is over. It very well might be. But uh, I certainly don't see him playing this year, which means it's going to be it's going to be next ban up for the Cyclone football program. So that's either uh, redshirt freshman Rocco Becht or two freshman J.J. Kroll from Ankeny. Is that how I say it? Kroll? Cole. Cole. There's no yeah, R? Yeah, just Cole. No. Okay. So, yeah, that's – I mean – that's unfortunately how it goes. We've had next man up before, so we'll see how that goes this year. Um, so not just Deckers was a part of this probe. I, I will throw this out there. Another offensive lineman at Iowa State is reportedly being um, investigated for this. I'm blanking on how you pronounce his name, but Denver... Owazurike? Uh, yeah, Owazurike is also being investigated for some bets made during his career at Iowa State, but also more seriously, some bets that he made up for all of his teammates, like bets for his teammates to do well uh, while as a member of the Denver Broncos, and he is facing up to two years in prison for that, um, which is a pretty big one as well. He's also been suspended by the NFL for violating their gambling rules too. Yeah. But it didn't just affect Iowa State. University of Iowa also had a probe into it. Their kicker at the time, who was competing in a game in which he bet the under on, 
uh, reportedly a former Iowa basketball player who is now with University of Nebraska, who is being withheld from team activities as they are reportedly over in Europe playing a few games right now. Um, and then a baseball player uh, as well at the University of Iowa. So big uh, gambling news that came out uh, uh, this week, this past week. So we didn't touch on it, but the, the stupidest part to me is that Hunter Deckers was underage for Iowa law to be placing these bets in the first place. Like, sure, it's dumb that he's betting on games that he's in and whatnot, but he he's also underage. Like, well, come on, man. You, you have to be 21 in the state of Iowa to, to legally gamble. And he was not 21, uh, among other people. Well, like you said, Deckers was not the only individual there. But I, I just, what a what a turn of events, I guess. I don't know. It's just dumb. Just dumb. We, we, we've come a long way from the no professional sports team will have a team in Vegas because of the vague association to sports gambling. We've come a long way in very few years since that time. Mm-hmm. We, we tore down the fence without uh, putting up the proper guardrails before we turned, tore it down. And, and now you're seeing, um, seeing what you get from it. Yep. So... So if Deckers does completely lose eligibility to play in the NCAA, which personally I would expect, he still technically could play for a JUCO college or NAIA or any of the other non-NCAA affiliated programs. Whether or not they also revoke his eligibility is up for debate, but even if the NCAA does strip everything from him, he could technically still go play elsewhere. Sure, or he could go play in the NFL once he's old enough. Not as that I think if, he's good enough, but yeah, as if he could make it in onto a roster slot, right? Go play in the XFL. That might US, be an option. USFL, yeah. Canadian yep. football. Uh, he, football. He might not. He might not take the cut for a uh, CFL arena football. He probably could do, but who would want to do that? There's a team coming to the Twin Cities. I'm just saying. Have you ever been to an uh, arena football game? I have not. They're not. But they're they're not my cup of tea. I'm sure some people likes them, but they're, they're I mean, certainly not my cup of tea. The field is so much smaller, isn't it? It's like more violent. Yes. Yeah, it, it's always super high scoring, like huge, huge high scoring games. It's just a. Maybe I used to watch them on TV occasionally when back when it was like popular. What probably this was probably back when I was in like middle school. So yeah. this is this was boy, I'm old. This was 15 years ago at some point. At this point. Um, when it was popular, maybe not quite that long, but yeah. So there we have it. That's that's your news on the the gambling um, saga that is plaguing Iowa State and Iowa. Mike, you have something else? I will just say one more thing. Yeah, is that yes, it's a really bad deal to lose your starting quarterback, but I mean, it wasn't outlandish to think that Cole was going to be the starting quarterback anyway at some point this year if Deckers didn't improve. Like, Cole was a top 10 in the nation quarterback recruit, right? He's just not some guy. So is this bad for the team? Yes. Is it disastrous? I, I don't think so. I don't think this moves the needle a ton for expectations for the football team. I don't know what you guys think, but... Well... I mean, we could save that for our Cyclone football preview, too. But I will say, I I don't know how much it moves the needle. I don't... 
I don't know what the expectations are for this team this year. I, I know we do have a, a pretty decent recruiting class coming in, but overall, I mean, this team has lost a lot of experience, dealt that attrition. Some of these guys just need to grow a little bit more mature in the system. So was this going to be a Hunter Deckers is leading this team to a top 10 uh, consistent ranking this season? fringe college football playoff i think that's a very lofty expectation of what hunter deckers was going to bring to this team um i mean last year deckers was okay um he completed 302 passes for 3,000 yards 6.7 yard average 19 touchdowns to 14 interceptions so he did turn the ball over quite a bit so we'll see what it is going forward. But as Mike pointed out, there wasn't an unrealistic expectation that Hunter Deckers could start the year, but definitely wouldn't finish the year as our quarterback. I will say that, in my opinion, losing Jacob Park in the 2016 season will hurt. would have hurt more than losing Hunter Deckers prior to the 2023-2024 season. And, and as Kyle mentioned, right, the team knew about this already, mm-hmm. right? It's more just news to us. Like I'm sure in practice and things like that, they, they were already preparing for Bechter Cole to be starting this year. I think they kind of knew that uh, Deckers would at least not be starting this year. They may not have known the full breadth of this, but uh, they were definitely, I'm sure, prior to this news, already preparing the other quarterbacks to be ready to start against you and I Labor Day weekend. So that was one of the two uh, big news out of college football. The other was, again, another thing we touched on last week was conference realignment, but it act, but it blew up this week, which to me was somewhat unexpected. I didn't think it to, didn't think it was going to come to a head this fast, but it absolutely did. Kyle, can you fill us in on the details of what happened in conference realignment this last week? It's yeah, yeah, I got you. So I was refreshing. I'm just going to call it Twitter because who cares about X? There were, there, were too, there, there, was there were too many days this week where I was just refreshing Twitter constantly because I yeah. was on Tuesday with the trade deadline and then on Thursday and Friday with this realignment stuff. Anyway, I digress. I didn't get enough. I was refreshing Twitter too much. Tuesday, some of this realignment stuff was uh, blowing up at the same time as the MLB trade deadline. But we'll first start with this. So as we talked about last week, the Pac-12 was going to be hosting a meeting to present its media deal that it had um, worked out with Apple TV. So uh, shout out to someone on Twitter who called it the crapple TV deal, because I just thought that was hilarious. And that's ended up what it was. The PAC 12 would have needed 32.6 million subscribers to get up to the big 12 media numbers in their deal. If you look that up, it's a bit less than 10% of America's population. So that's a lot of subscribers. Uh, Reportedly, that's how many subscribers that are currently subscribed to Apple TV. And then the Pac-12 subscription on top of that would have been an extra $20 a month on top of the already the, the cost of Apple TV already. So good luck with sustaining that part and getting up to those that uh, a number of subscribers in order to reach those numbers. The Pac-12 kind of found themselves in a weird spot, and I think everyone was getting a little jittery once Colorado had already left. 
Uh, and it kind of hinged upon what seemed like Oregon and Washington to make their decision. Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten kind of was the, the first piece to the chess piece to fall. So or, the Big Ten had already done their initial vetting of Oregon and Washington last year when there were rumors about this. Then after that, the University of Arizona was the first one to submit their bid to the Big 12. They saw that opening. Obviously, Arizona was full go in that situation. The only thing that was holding them up was the Board of Regents for Arizona and Arizona State apparently speak for each other unanimously. Uh, and Arizona State was dragging their feet the whole time. So much so that it was like, okay, well, are we just going to get Arizona? And then are we the Big 12 going to leave Arizona State and Utah hanging out to dry because the Big 12 wasn't going to just take Arizona and Arizona State without adding another team to make it an even number, obviously, since scheduling is a big issue with odd number of teams. Arizona State finally got on board and then Utah, who had just made a big jump from uh, the Mountain West Conference to the Pac-12 back in 2012 when the new Pac-12 media rights deal started up saw themselves either saying, well, we got to make the the jump to the Big 12 or we're going to be stuck in no man's land. So Arizona State and Utah both submitted their application. The Big 12 unanimously approved it. Uh, So they joined Colorado to the Big 12. So where we stand right now, the Big 10 has 18 teams. The SEC and the Big 12 have 16. Uh, The ACC has 14 teams. Is that correct, Mike or Wyatt? I have no idea how many teams the ACC has anymore. I have no idea how many most have. Let me look this up. I think they have 15, not 14. They're one of the weird oh, ones. Oh, because of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I think it also depends on the sport because of Notre Dame. Yep. Yeah, I'm including Notre Dame in that list if we're talking football. There you have it. I mean, that's that's where the team sits. So the SEC has been at 16 now since Texas and, and Oklahoma decided to join. Uh, Big 12 now being at 16 is huge growth recently uh, for a conference that left was left wondering for a lot of schools, are we valuable enough to end up somewhere much like now Washington state, Oregon state, Stanford and Cal are looking around at each other saying what's what's next here. So what does this mean for these new conferences? The big 10 has three crucial windows for primetime television. Uh, They get Fox noon games they get the prime time middle of the day game and then they end up on the west coast with a late night game they could go into eastern time at like 1 30 in the morning so they have three huge viewing windows uh adds big money for the west coast although oregon and washington only start off with par- partial shares of the media deal uh so all the big 10 share 70 million per year oregon and washington are only starting at 30 million a year uh, which is really going to ha- hamper their travel budget as they're going to have to travel a long ways, uh, especially since the nearest Big Ten team to them, like the original Big Ten, is Nebraska, which is about 1,500 miles away. So they will have a lot of traveling to do uh, on a cheap budget. Oregon has the funds. Uh, Washington might be a little bit tight for a couple of years, but that will progressively ramp up year over year uh, in their media deal money. For the Big 12, also have the opportunity with multiple time zones represented, actually representing all four time zones, EST, CST, MST, and PST. But what is biggest for the Big 12, in my opinion, 
is basketball. This is now by far head and shoulders above the best basketball conference in the the country, in all of the conferences, Power Five, what have it. So in Ken Palm last year, if you were to take all the teams that are reported to be, or they're going to be in the Big 12 in 2024, where they ended up in Ken Palm last year, eight teams were in the top 30. 10 teams in the top 50 and all teams were in the top 77 of the Ken Palm. So obviously football draws the most money uh, and the most marketing, but why was Arizona so enthusiastic to join the big 10 or big 12? Sorry, because of basketball, they're going to have a great schedule for basketball. It's just going to work out really, really well for them. And the big them uh, since it is a historic basketball program. So there you have it there. Special shout out to the Pac-12 commissioner, uh, George Klavkov. I forgot how you told me to pronounce it, Wyatt. So there you have it. That's the best you get. He had this quote exactly uh, one year ago at Pac-12 Media Day. You look at the metrics, you look at the numbers, and any way you cut and slice and dice the numbers, you come to the conclusion that no Pac-12 school is going to the Big 12. One year later, four of your teams are now as a part of the Big 12. So a while ago, the commissioner of the Big 12, Brett Yormark, uh, and formerly Bob Bowlesby, had had reached out to the Pac-12 and talked about a merger of the two conferences to create a very robust, uh, sustained conference between the two of them. The PAC 12 vehemently declined that they said, we're not going to do that. You guys aren't worth it. We're when you fold, we're going to scoop up all of your teams and move forward. Well, the big 12 went out and negotiated a good enough media deal clearly to keep all teams happy that they currently had take some of the, the, the best teams from the American, and now we're able to feast off of the the exodus that the Pac-12 um, had due to them not being able to negotiate a media deal that was any that was worthwhile for any of their teams. With that, the Pac-12 is now the Pac-4. As I mentioned before, Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford uh, are kind of left in no man's land. There are talks and rumors about them merging with the Mountain West uh, as the Mountain West can go back and renegotiate their media deal uh, as a part of those teams. I would look at Stanford maybe going independent, although they would need to figure something out for all of their other sports that aren't namely football. But Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State are kind of searching for what's next. At what point do we see college football turn like like turn into its own league almost? Like the Big Ten, for example, has more revenue than a, a ton of professional sports currently, right? If we look at just the Big Ten, at what point do they just become their own thing? Because I feel like we're, we're getting more and more to that point. So what you're talking about is when does college football become the NFC and the AFC and your top eight teams make the playoff? Essentially, yeah. And it becomes a minor league to the NFL. I, I mean, we're not... I don't see that happening within the next three or four years, but is that outside of the realm of possibility? I don't think so. For all intents and purposes, it already is a semi-minor league at this point, right? With transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, and tradition and rivalries and geography not mattering anymore, right? Mm-hmm. 
It essentially already is. Now, they'll never call it that because as soon as they do, their entire revenue model breaks down because then you got to pay the player. But it essentially already is. That's my take, at least. I mean, you're not wrong, but I don't know. So where does college sports go from here? I truly don't know. Well, college football, right? College football is, is what we're talking about here. Sure, this affects other sports as well, but to a much lesser extent. If you take football out of here, you would still have the Pac-12. You would still have a ton of other minor conferences out there. You wouldn't have these massive things that are happening. I totally agree that it's football and basketball driving this, but it's the other sports that I feel the worst for, yep. right? I feel bad for the Rutko women's women's soccer player who now has to fly all the way to Seattle on a Wednesday night to play a conference soccer game, but, you know, is really playing soccer, but really actually cares about the education and is now gone five days, or now gone four days a week because they have to fly all over the country for conference games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or right. the, I mean, watch, I encourage people and all of our listeners to go hear an interview. Please disregard the Missouri football coach. who's an absolute idiot who came. That's my opinion and not the opinion of others. Sorry. Who came out with an argument similar to that. Although this man has changed teams like six times over the past seven years. So that's whatever. But the Washington state baseball coach came out with a great interview about all of this, uh, where he was talking about what do his players do when we are playing multiple games in a weekend and we have to fly all the way out to just say Michigan to play a baseball game or Iowa to play a baseball game if they were in the big 10 and now fly back. His kids are now missing their entire week of school, have to worry about that while traveling all the accommodations for that. He said, and then he talks about the, just the mental well being of his players too. Like that takes a toll on them. Sure. Players in major league baseball have worked their way up to that. They have gone through the minor leagues. They know what the travel is like, but they are getting paid a lot more money to play baseball. Yeah, they're getting paid a minimum of like, what, half a million dollars a year or something. So. Yep. So it's just completely different. So it is those small teams, or not small teams, smaller teams in smaller profile sports that are severely hampered by the ramifications of this. Especially the ones that play, really all sports that play games in the middle of the week. Right. This will include basketball too, right? Yeah. Like the it's not not as huge of a deal for football because they only play Saturdays generally, right? So the the extra travel isn't really all that much. But for right now, if you've got road basketball games on Wednesday in Seattle and Saturday in yeah, let's say you Rutgers again, and you got Wednesday game in Seattle and a Saturday game in. East Lansing, right? Do you go home in between them even, right? Uh, It's, yeah, it's a mess. So at this point, does it seem realistic that conferences could realign for sports not named basketball and football? They realign themselves within their own conference, respective conferences and go off of that? Is basketball back included with that? And football just is off on its own. I feel like basketball could be included in that. Yeah, I think a better question is, 
when does college football break out of this whole veil of academics? Because right now, football is a part of a university, right? College football is part of a university, part of getting a degree, going, going towards higher education and whatnot. At what point do we pull that back and just say, okay, no, this is an NFL minor league. This is the next step to go pro. This is outside of the scope of a university. Because that, to me, is the direction that we've we've taken over the past couple of years. I mean, look at the, the sheer amount of revenue. I I feel I think college football has more annual revenue than the NFL does, or it's, it's pretty close. We're, we're talking tens of billions of dollars per year. I'd buy it just because they got more teams, right? Yeah, but uh, I'm wondering at what point do do we get get to that kind of end state? I mean, that's where we're going towards. Are you asking when they break off from the NCAA or when they break off from? college it would have to be a break off from college because right now i mean the sec could go make their own athletics administration right there's something that's really stopping them it, it wouldn't be a good idea it would ruin it, it would absolutely ruin the conference but there's nothing that would you know feasibly stop them from doing that but i think this is a bigger question of when do they break away from college again but as soon as you do you have to pay your players mm -hmm. and then your labor costs increase significantly. And then now you don't have as much, well, you don't have much profit, right? You still have the revenue to an extent, but not the profit. Is that a sustainable business model? I don't know. Probably. Can they keep going without paying the players then with these huge media deals? I, I don't that's know. The, I, I don't have that's an answer. For the court, that's, for the, that's for the lawmakers yep. and the courts to decide. Right yep. now, yes. Right? Is somebody eventually going to stop them? Probably. But- for now, if they can keep doing it, why do you? Why should you kill the fattened calf now when it's still making you money, right? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think I just mixed my metaphors there a little bit, but you know, we'll go. On I did. We know what you were trying to get at. <laughs> it 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 definitely is an interesting topic, and for someone who loves and appreciates college football and what it means to walk on campus in the fall with the leaves changing, to hear the band from miles away, to see the tailgating lots, to literally feeling that rivalry and that intensity that is so much different than an NFL environment. It just sucks to see that as a potential for the state of college football as we know it, but it's the harsh reality of media and media rights deals changing the landscape of everything yeah i mean but in the end i guess i've got two points on that on yours kyle yes the media is changing everything but the media is also what grows the game and how we watch it right it wasn't that long ago where if you wanted to go watch a college football game you had to go to the game right Whereas now I can watch pretty much any game I want any weekend sitting from my couch, right? So that's driven the popularity of the sport. So that the media aspect is important. Now, has it become outsized? Probably. But the media has been incredibly important for the popularity of the sport, um, the TV especially. And Wyatt, going back to what you said, and Kyle, you sort of mentioned this too, about breaking off from college. I think they'd lose a lot of their fan base if they did, right? Would I go root for a semi-professional football team from Ames, Iowa? No. Not, not, Probably not, really, not. Yeah. right? 
because they're from my alma mater? Heck yes. Go Cyclones, right? How long, if they did break off, how long would it be before they lost that identity with the school itself, right? Could, could you still maintain the popularity you have now if you weren't associated with the school? I don't know. Maybe you could. That just seems tough to me. Yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think it would be an, an ultimately bad decision to do something like we were mentioning. But it, at the same point, how, you know, how do you keep growing? How do you keep pulling in more money? To me, I think there's almost a state where if, if something does not block that path, that, that's where college football will go within, you know, the next decade or two. But that's so far out there to who even knows, you know? It's just wild right now. We have three super conferences, and that that's pretty much it in college football, Division One college football specifically. Yeah, and these conferences are so big now, right? What do we say? The Big Ten's 18? Yeah, mm-hmm. Big Ten, 18, SEC, and Big 12 at 16, and the, the ACC has 14 slash 15, as we said. In the Big Ten now, you're basically playing a single round-robin basketball schedule. Mm-hmm. Right, you're playing a team every other year in football, right? That's what it's coming to from a scheduling perspective too, which I also dislike. It's terrible, right? Yeah, it is. It is bad, and it's hard to form those rivalries too when you play a team every other season. Mm-hmm. Like, right, Kyle? Um, we were lamenting when the basketball schedule got released that the Cyclones aren't playing. Yes, um, Kansas this year. Yes, right? that that's going to be common starting in 2024, right? That's going to be common. We're only going to play starting in 2024. What we're only going to play five or six teams twice out of a 16 team conference. So only once every three years are we going to get home and homes with teams. This is going to be common, and it's unfortunate. Well, so someone did. I can mention this and then maybe we should move on, but someone I already came up with potential scheduling for the big 12 in 2024, where they kind of break up the conference into quads. Uh, so you have the uh, pac 12 esque together. So Arizona, Arizona state, Utah, BYU uh, keep the Holy war together. Then you have the North, uh, where you have Iowa State, KU, uh, K-State, and then Colorado. Uh, so you get keep Colorado, K-State, Colorado, KU, Colorado, Iowa State together, which do have some older historic rivalries. Uh, you get the big, the former Big 12 South, BYU, or Baylor, TCU, um, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech, and then the East being West Virginia, Cincinnati, uh, Houston, and UCF. And then for football, you play everyone in your quad and then you play one team from every other quad right i think that makes up your football schedule or close to it it's only six it's only six two teams from every other quad yeah there's your nine there so one team you don't get every other year basically then for basketball you do a home and home with everyone in your quad and then you get I think a home and away with literally every other team in the big 12. So you don't get the home and home with your other quads. So like Iowa state and Oklahoma state wouldn't get a home and home, but Iowa state KU, Iowa state K state, and then Iowa state and Colorado get your home and a home in basketball, which for our sake, we would love because then we're playing KU a lot 
and K-State a lot. You keep Farmageddon together. So there are ways that the Big 12 could do the scheduling. Now, are they going to do it? Is it fair? Who knows? Like for basketball, is that strength of schedule fair? Uh, Iowa State, KU, and K-State, who are all right now really good. Is that fair? Give Arizona a really weak schedule so they could be really good that way. There are ways to work it out, but that one made the most sense rather than the BS that we're playing this year. I hate this schedule. Yeah, who knows? They'll fit you. I, I don't want to speculate too much on the schedules besides the fact that, yeah, it's going to be not pretty. I'll just leave it at that. The Big Ten had figured out a decent way to do it at 16, and now they have to blow it all up now because they're at 18. So. Who knows? The Big 12 should sort of look at what the Big 10 did, where they protected certain rivalries um, every year. The Big 12 should look at what the Big 10 was going to do for football. Um, that, that's all I'll say on it. And we'll, we, we can move on unless somebody's got anything else. I think we've, we've talked more than we were supposed to about this already. But. Wyatt, you have any other closing remarks? Outside of football is the biggest moneymaker, and this is where we're seeing all the problems stem from. Uh, no. Cool. Oh, one last little dig. Just because you join the conference doesn't mean you get Las Vegas as your basketball tournament host city. And we also have seen that Iowa State is should not be allowed in Vegas. So uh, <laughs> basketball in Kansas City from here on out. Thank you. I mean, they've, they've got a conf- contract signed with Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament, I presume, right? For I know, long? but I know. But Utah literally came in swinging, saying it's so much better to play basketball in Las Vegas for the tournament. And Las I'm like, Vegas <laughs> isn't even in Utah. I'm like, guys, guys, I would say can't go there. The team would get in trouble. There are no, no Big 12 fans in Utah either. That is true. Speaking of. Major shakeups. Obviously, the MLB trade deadline did wrap up. We talked about Houston getting Verlander back in the massive amount of money the Mets had to pay in order to do so. But, Mike, I posed this question in the outline. I'm going to throw you under the bus and have you discuss it. Who are the winners and the losers of the trade deadline so far that we've seen? There were a lot of trades that happened um, the day of the deadline. I'm not going to go through most of them because there are a lot of them, but none of them were really major trades besides the aforementioned Verlander trades. There were a lot of minor swaps, and really the, the big deals didn't really happen this year. Um, there were a lot more buyers and less sellers, so the big deals didn't really happen this year, like you sometimes um, would see, or at least if they did, they happened earlier, and we would have talked about them at last week's episode. So if you're interested in all the deals, go check them out. But really, for the overall winners and losers, the big winners to me was the state of Texas. Both the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, um, to me, are the big winners. The Astros getting Verlander and Texas, we we all knew they had the offense to go on a run, and they added a ton of starting pitching, which is exactly um, exactly what they needed. Um, they picked up Jordan Montgomery and uh, Max Scherzer. There for Texas, they definitely uh, they definitely got what they needed there um, with the pitching help. And yeah, Houston, same thing. Reunion with Verlander. That's going to be a fun race um, down the stretch in the AL West between Houston and Texas as they've distanced themselves um, from everybody else in that division at this point. Um, including the Angels, who uh, decided to buy. And so far, that hasn't worked out. 
as they're now sitting uh, in fourth place in their division, ten and a half out in the division and seven out in the wild. Seven in the wild card. I was you haven't gotten to the losers there and talked about them, but I was going to throw them in as a kind of adjacent loser to the trade deadline because they bought. And they have since lost what six in or five, either five straight or six in a row. They've now lost six in a row. They're two and yeah. eight in the last ten, and have lost six in a row. And things have not been going well for them. And it's it's looking like being buyers didn't help, and they gave up a lot uh, in some of those trades that they made, where there were people actually going in and putting in the players and like the deals into MLB the show and they were getting rejected because of how uh, outlandish of an overpay it was. So with their prospects. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned last week, they had a weak farm system to begin with. So they're just in a weird spot right now. Like, I feel like you have to pay Shohei Otani or yeah, I, I don't know. They're a mess. They're, that whole franchise is a mess. There are bigger messes. Oakland, Cleveland, Tampa, but that franchise is a mess. Other than that, uh, the teams uh, that were the biggest losers, at least for me, are the teams that did nothing. Um, the teams that were in um, that are in contention, that are sort of in those fringes, that didn't buy and didn't sell. To me, you sort of got to do one or the other in the playoffs. And Baltimore, Minnesota, New York, and Boston, um, to me, just did nothing. And I think fell behind the teams that, uh, that made moves. All of these teams maybe improved a little bit around um, the fringes, but didn't make a big move. The Orioles with the best um, effort in the uh, American League really did nothing. Their starting rotation leaves um, something to be desired, and uh, they didn't improve it. If they would have done what Texas did, they would be the World Series favorite in the American League. And I don't think they are because their starting rotation just isn't there. New York and uh, Boston, again, they, they didn't do much, and maybe they shouldn't have because I don't know if they could have competed in the long run, but they just stood pat. And same thing with the Twins. Um there were a couple things they could have looked to add, a bullpen arm, right-handed bat. Um, and they chose, again, they improved on the margins with the relief pitcher swap. Just just didn't do that much. And really, they're going to win the division because Cleveland sold and is now in a free fall. And we'll talk about what happened <laughs> between Cleveland and Chicago this weekend in a little bit. So they're going to make the playoffs. They didn't make any improvements in the bat with, uh, with the bats of the bullpen, so I don't know if they're going to be able to uh, to make that happen. So we'll see. Any other thoughts on winners or losers from the deadline from either of you two that you want to mention? None from me, really. Um, I think that some of the teams that went out and bought, you can tell they're a little bit better off now than they were, or a lot better off in some scenarios. Uh, I liked what Tampa Bay was able to do. Um, getting Savale unspeakably from the Guardians. And yeah, I I felt like Seattle sold, but then didn't sell enough to. So there were, there was a lot of confusion um, around it, the trade deadline this year for a lot of teams. But yeah, that Angels one was still a head scratcher. 
Yeah, that might hurt their, their decision to go for it this year and not sell might uh, cost them for a few years here. And it might cost the GM his job if he can't re-sign Otani in the offseason. So, and the owner's already trying to sell the team. Like I said, it's a mess. Speaking of messes, uh, the Cleveland Police Department was reportedly uh, on the investigation for a brutal beating that happened at the field last night between the Guardians and the White Sox. Mike, you alluded to this, and obviously this is headlining your uh, edition of Mike's Stupid Rules this week. What do you got for us? Yeah, so obviously that's somewhat of an exaggeration. I don't think there's any actual police investigation involved. There, there is it, but okay. it was funny. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty good transition. Um, so we had a a real bench gluing brawl um, in, I believe it was in Cleveland, um, started between um, Cleveland and Chicago. I'm not exactly sure like what instigated it, but Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson were upset at each other. And literally, they squared up and they started throwing punches. And this led to a bench clearing brawl. The MLB doesn't like brawling. I'm not going to talk about the rules about that. Um, we all know you're going to get tossed. But what I do want to talk about is what is an umpire or the umpire and crew supposed to do during a bench clearing situation? The first thing you want to do is, first of all, you want to try to prevent it. So you see that. Um, Right When it, there's only two players, a small number of players involved, if you can try to get between them to stop this from escalating, you should. And you saw the umpire do that, right? He tried, as soon as he saw them jawing at each other, he tried to push both of them away. Right. And oftentimes for, for other viewers, like typically a lot of brawls happen when pitches are thrown at a player. So the batter going after the pitcher, the home plate umpire gets right in front of the batter and tries to prevent that. Walk the batter to first base, something like that, right? Yeah. So yes, first step is to try to prevent it by getting in between the potential combatants. Once you failed that, what, this is what the umpire's manual instructs. I'm not just saying what I think they should do. This is how the umpire manual instructs them. You get out of the way and you observe and you take notes see who the main combatants are, et cetera, et cetera, so you can prepare to hand out the discipline, right? You don't, the man says, don't get in the middle of it when it's going. Sit back, watch, take notes, and prepare for the discipline. Once it starts to settle down, now we do what you call the rule of halves. You want to try to separate their teams onto their halves of the field to start settling this thing down. Put team A down the third baseline, team B down the first baseline, separate them out, start to shepherd them back to the dugouts to end this. Now, once you've done that, and what happened in this one is it can reflare up again still. And then again, if it does, again, step back, go back to observing, and then try to separate them out again, including the bullpens, which can get interesting in the places where the both uh, teams' bullpens enter the fields from the same spot. It can get interesting to try to separate uh, the bullpens into halves when they have to go back with each other. Um, but still, you want to do your best you can to separate them out, let them calm down, get them back into their dugouts. And then once you do that, meet together as a crew. Don't make any immediate judgments. Meet together as a crew. Talk about it. Talk about who you're going to 
um, throw out, who you're going to warn, et cetera, et cetera. Get both managers separately. Send one umpire to one manager, one umpire to the other. Tell them who's tossed, explain why, and then get back to the game. Right? The players you're looking for to toss, um, the instigators, so in this case it was Anderson and Ramirez, and then the two managers reinstigated it. So all four of them are gone. And then you're looking for anybody who was an aggressor or um, yeah, who was overly aggressive or overly combative during the fight. In this case, it was uh, Class A, the Cleveland closer, and the Cleveland third base coach, who was ruled the aggressors or the yeah the aggressors in this fight and were also thrown out. Um, so that's really what you're looking for. And then you're also taking notes because the umpires will have to write a report about this, and that'll be used as part of Major League Baseball deciding um, discipline for all of those people. Ramirez and Anderson are for sure getting suspended. Um, I'm not sure about anybody else, but those two for sure will get suspended for at least three, probably more than five games for both of them. Managers will probably just be fined. Anybody, anybody who gets ejected is fine. Getting ejected is an automatic fine. Whether they get more than the normal amount, I don't know. But that was pretty cold as third ejection in the last week, too. So. Dang. I, I mean, I would assume that the managers might get a little bit more of a fine than normal just because they reinstigated things. Maybe they get suspension for that. Hey, it was a wild situation. I know you sent us a message saying, go watch the video from it. I expected, you know, some pushing and shoving. I didn't expect a something to replace the Rugnet Odor Jose Bautista fight. And that's what we got basically here. The Bautista fight, they actually made contact though. Well, it, uh, Ramirez definitely Ramirez made contact to Anderson. He went down. Watching it back, I don't know that him going down was from the hit though. Oh, it was. It was. was. It? He his eyes closed the jaw yeah his eyes closed right after and he was stumbling although he was better off than eloy jimenez who injured himself somehow during the scrum yeah did we hear the details of that i saw he was hurt nope. but i didn't see how bad yeah i didn't see the details but he was hobbling badly let me see if i can see how bad he was hurt but anyway um yeah so that's that, that's what you do as an umpire. Prevent if possible. If not, step back, take notes, deal discipline, rule of halves, separate them out. That's the umpire's um, job in a fight. Any other questions? No, I think we're good. Yeah, makes sense. That is it for our um, Mike Stupid Rules. Into our write that down prediction segment, starting with our accountability session. Um, first prediction off the board from Arian. He predicted that James Harden and Damian Lillard would be traded by August 1st, August 6th. And to the best of my knowledge, neither of them have been traded. Is that right, Kyle? I have not heard of any of these and haven't received breaking news on this. So I'm going to say that this is incorrect. So for that, he gets a uh, nah. Nah. Um, he also predicted that Paul Goldschmidt would get traded at the deadline. The Cardinals did somewhat of a sale, but not a uh, a big one. They traded uh, Montgomery, uh, DeYoung, Jordan Hicks, 
Um, but not either Aeronado or Goldschmidt. They held on to both of them. So Aaron gets a nah. 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 Why you predicted the Cubs would win both their series against the Cardinals and their Reds. Three four, four game series, both of them. And the Cubs took both of those series three games to one, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. The Cubs are getting toasty. There you go. So for that you get a ding 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 ding. That is it for our accountability session. Um, so we'll start with Arian's prediction back up on the board. You may have noticed that Arian's been quiet. He was not able to join us for the recording today, but he did give us a prediction. He is going to predict that Rocco Bat, not JJ Cole, Rocco Bat would start the season as QB1. This, to me, this is either a single or a double. What do you guys think? I think this is a single. I Matt Campbell doesn't really go with the true freshman. I mean, look at Brock Purdy. We went a different route for a few weeks until he maybe had a little bit more game feel, fuel the landscape, and then brought him in and the rest is history. I think at the earliest, Cole probably comes in game four, game five, maybe second or third game of the conference schedule. So I'm going to say single. I would agree. I don't think that Cole gets put in as QB1 in the first game. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think he comes in midway through the Iowa game when our offense sucks in the Iowa game like it always does. Single? Single. Yep. All right. Um, my prediction has been much making fun of of the AL Central this year, and uh, it's much deserved for the most part. But I'm going to predict that it won't necessarily be a total mockery. I'm going to predict that the Twins finish with a record that would put them in at least third place in both other American League divisions. So currently they would be... Currently they'd be fourth in both. Fourth? Yeah. Right now they would be, yeah, they'd be fourth, four games behind Toronto in the East for third. Well, they've got to be better than Seattle. Yeah, and a game and a half behind Seattle. And are they going to end up being better than Toronto, New York, and Boston? I think Toronto is a better team, but... I mean, if, if you want to, to look at the projections here from fan graphs, um, the twin, they, the, they project the Twins to uh, finish with 84 wins, the Blue Jays to finish with 89, and the Mariners to finish with 85. They actually also predict the Yankees to finish with 85 ahead of the so Twins. So is, is this a triple? What do you want for it? I was hoping for a double or a triple. I'm going to say triple. I The Twins didn't buy. <laughs> Since they didn't buy and really get better, unless the return of Dallas Keuchel is noteworthy. Um, Pitch five scoreless innings today. Five one-run innings today. Let me, let me double check on that. What'd you say, Wyatt? I mean, I felt like a triple was a little a uh, little generous, but I mean, I don't have much to, to say otherwise. I, I would be okay with that. So are you going to say double and then we go with the coin? Uh, I will not, uh, mostly because I'm not quite sure what I did with the John Adams coin last time I grabbed <laughs> it for last episode. Oh, wait, no, here it is. I found it. Oh, no, I, triple's fine. Okay, we might have been a little generous for Mike tonight, but there we have it. That's all right. Do you think from Josh this week? Is he still alive? He is still alive, and he's uh, watching his Brewers battle uh, the Reds, surprisingly, um, for the NL Central race. Um, and he's predicting that the Brewers are going to sweep the Rockies in their upcoming series. This is a series in Milwaukee 
Let me look to see how many games it is here. Give me a second. Hold on. This is going to be a three-game series in Milwaukee. Sweeping three games, double or triple? What do you guys think? A sweep triple. I was going to say double. I'm fine being generous and giving him a triple. Triple it is. I will predict that the Cubs will sweep at least one three or more game series within the month of August. That could be a three-game series against the Mets this week at the Mets. A series at Blue Jays after that. Um, a two-game series, which wouldn't count, versus the White Sox at home. And then a three-game series versus the Royals at home. And then away, Tigers, Pirates, and at home versus the Brewers to round out the month. At least one of those will wind up with a Cubs sweep. Outside of Toronto and Milwaukee, that's not a particularly difficult schedule. Nope. But still, sweeping a team is hard. Mm-hmm. Triple. Yeah, give him another triple. Everybody gets a triple. Getting the triples in here for the day. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, please carry on the generosity. Royals will have another win streak of at least five or more games. So uh, if anyone wasn't paying attention, probably no you weren't that. because the Royals have been <laughs> hot garbage this season. They just actually rattled off a seven-game win streak, recently sweeping the Twins, sweeping the Mets, and then whoever they played before the Mets, I'm blanking on that right now. The Phillies took one from the Phillies. They took one from the Phillies, and yeah. That, so, seven. yep. They're burning hot. Uh, well, they're burning hot, hot but it's is, a fast burn. Hot is relative, you know. The September schedule, especially their late September schedule, is rough. Houston, Cleveland, Houston, Detroit, New York to end the year. That's rough. I would give this a home run. There's, I don't see this happening. They're, they're a team that prior to this seven-game win streak... Had a win streak of only three games. They hadn't even had a win streak of three games. Prior to the seven, it was two. They've oh, only true. won 36 games all year this year. you saying they're going to win five more in a row? Yeah, this is a home run. Prior to this win streak, they'd only won 31 games total. Well, we didn't need to be generous because it, it was an outlandish prediction. So there we have it. That's right. It gave a little more flavor with a, a single three triples and then a home run. That, that's that's the flavor on top. Well, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 234. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check out our social media pages at 8311cast, wherever you find us. Signing off for the 8311cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!